Welcome to this episode of the Women in Technology Spotlight. Today, I have with me Anna Federova. She is a senior business IT consultant, and she just finished her master's studies for data science and intelligent analytics. Congratulations, Anna. It's so great that you're taking the time to be with me. How are you today? Well, first of all, it's an honor to be invited. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. And I feel incredible today because I... I finished my master thesis. was a long journey of four semesters. Yes, and that's what we want to talk about. Your journey to becoming a data scientist and a woman in tech. Maybe let's kick it off with that. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey. We have to start a bit earlier than that. I am originally from Russia slash Ukraine. I was born in Russia. Most of my childhood and adolescent years I spent in Ukraine. And I started my education there. So I studied in the National Technical University of Ukraine, material science. And 13 years ago, I came to Germany to do my master and then kind of went further with my PhD, also in material science. And then the path kind of changed. So I started working at uh, my current company as an IT consultant, where I stay until now. And I guess it wasn't enough. So two years ago, I started another master thesis in data science. So as if it wasn't incredible enough that you did material sciences, but you just glossed over and then something happened. And then I, you know, I switched and then I became <laughs> yeah. a business IT consultant. What happened? I mean, it's not, it's, it's not like it's an, uh, an immediate switch because you, you obviously need to acquire some skills and, and there must be a story there, right? Well, I think the kind of the story of my life is I don't really know what I want to do, but I'm constantly searching for the thing to do and where I would feel as if I'm doing the right thing for me and to, I'm bringing some value to the world around me. So after a PhD, I was not sure what I would like to do. I really enjoyed being academia. I think being in research is a thing that makes me incredibly happy. And I just proved it to myself again while writing the master thesis. On the other hand, I wasn't sure if that's still the right career for me. So I was looking around for the other opportunities. I sent the application to the company where I'm currently working and just the whole process went so smoothly and easily. And I had no idea if I will manage the job, if I'm good for the job. I knew I enjoyed immensely the interview and the use cases we did there. So it was for me already like, yeah, that, that might be the right thing because it's just so interesting. Although I've never done it before, I always enjoyed the like computer science that we had in in university or this like basics that we had in school. So I thought, why not give it a try? And if people who are hiring me now, they think I would do the job and probably they know, right? It's actually a very good mindset to have. And I can totally relate to that because uh, there's been a couple of times in my life when I got jobs where I thought, I have no clue what I'm going to be doing there. But if they say I can do it, they're probably right. For me, it, it felt also the right moment to kind of start over to just how they say, think outside of the box. So I have no idea, but why not give something a try where I really never thought about it? You, you said something that uh, struck a chord with me, and that was you never know what you want to do, but you're always searching. And I think this is a very important and mindset if you want to work in tech. Not the part where you don't know what to do, but that you're always searching because every one of us who works in tech at the moment 
we have to be able to to go down this path of lifelong learning. And this is what you're doing intuitively and you've been doing it all your life, obviously. I think having that mindset is exactly the right thing that you need to be successful here. And for some reason, you seem to have a very good sensor for what's one of the the most important topics that we are currently facing. That's true. Yes. They say data is a new oil. I think for me, data was always interesting because it's the essence of our knowledge. And I am a very knowledge-oriented person. The thing that is most important about me, if I think about who I am, is acquiring new knowledge. And it was always like that. I always enjoyed reading. And now I am always searching for different courses to do online or offline and different areas of our life. So the data on one hand is this incredible source of new information that is still hidden, but you can play Sherlock Holmes and look for something in that. And on the other hand, uh, it is screaming for structurizing. And that's what I know I'm good at. I like to keep things in place and uh, to bring the structure into something that might seem chaotic for the first glance. So I thought that it's really the area where these qualities might uh, come in handy. This reminds me of how we actually met. So for our listeners or viewers, Anna and I met uh, at an event around feminist technosciences and feminist technoscience studies concerns itself with how information and how development happens and how experiments are done and, and how we create information. So I think this this is actually the perfect place to meet someone like you, right? <laughs> I would like to talk a little bit about this because you say that you are always interested in data and that you feel that data is the new oil. We tend to think that data is something that's objective, right? And everyone feels like this new world of artificial intelligence, it's technology, it's data, it has to be objective. But when you look behind the scenes, I feel that this is not true. What is your opinion on that? The objectivity of data? This is an incredible question and it's a very hard one. I was writing my master thesis about gender bias. And that's exactly where, uh, while I was doing the uh, literature research, I was constantly struggling with the question, how objective our data is, because obviously we know there is, just because it comes from the history where we had some, well, let's say past biases, or maybe the biases that are still existent in our society, is it objective? Well, it's not fair. It's not equal. On the other hand, it reflects the state of our society. So it's it's a mirror. Like if you don't like what you see in the mirror, it's on the mirror to blame. And when we say the algorithms are trained with the wrong data, well, what else can you give them? Although now there are methods how you can kind of correct it, but then it's already not the data that we gathered. So you're on a very dangerous ground there because you want to get at the best result, but also you don't want to mess with the data foundation that you have. I hope that I will at some point get the experience to find a perfect pass on that ground. I think now it's still try and error or, mm -hmm. well, not error. So you said you did your master's thesis around gender bias. Was this exactly about this topic, you know, of the gender bias that is in the data? Or what was it exactly about? Well, it was a bit exotic, I would say. So I was conducting bibliometric analysis, which is you take different 
meta information about scientific publications, like name of authors, the journals, the years of publication, maybe the keywords or citations. And you try to describe either like different publications, either in one domain or maybe during some specific time period to analyze the data about it. And your goal is to find some statements about the research question that you have. For example, about gender bias, there are fantastic studies where the um, scientists from all around the globe are studied uh, for 50 years. So the names of the scientists that this research is based on, they have like over 4 million people there in the database. And then they ask, for example, so do we see in this 50 years if there are changes in uh, the gender proportion in specific fields? What are the gender proportion in specific fields? Are we getting somewhere mm -hmm. to 50-50 or how maybe they do the modeling? How long will it take for us to get into more or less equally distributed scientific world? And my research question was people who study gender bias, are they a diverse and equal group? So I gathered information about publications about gender bias in different research fields. I was not concentrated on one. And then I detected the gender for authors who wrote those publications. And I calculated different metrics. Uh, so if we have one publication, there is a team of authors. Uh, what is the participation of male uh, scientists and male? Are there some tendencies? Are there prevalence of one gender over another? And what about different fields of research? Do we see the differences there? So that was the topic. That is an interesting meta study. And it would be even more interesting to take it a bit further and think about, but I don't know how to analyze that, if the ratio of male to female researchers kind of influences the outcome. You know, the whole thing about how we conduct research and how our own perception of the world influences the, the outcome of our research. Interesting topic. I'd love to read that at some point. I hope to make a scientific publication about that. One more scientific publication <laughs> about gender bias written by a woman. Okay. I think that's important. I think it's really up to us now because there are a lot of female scientists and there are a lot of women in tech. I mean, I think we're not vocal enough and we're not visible enough. It's very important that we contribute to the field. And coming back to what you said earlier about the, the bias in the data and how it's like looking in the mirror and obviously the mirror is not at fault that we don't like what we see. I think that's a very good point. If we assume that we are just making a copy of the real world. But what I would like to ask you is, what do you think is the purpose of all these tools that we are building? Are they just tools that uh, we use to represent the world that we have? Or do we want to build tools that um, influence the world that we have to become a better world? I think that that is one of the big things that we have to think about because if we look at the world as it is, I mean, yes, we can obviously say there is a lot of things that are not good. I mean, climate change, uh, gender pay gap. I mean, there's so many the two things don't have anything to do with each other necessarily, or maybe they do, <laughs> but so all rooted in patriarchy. But do we now build tool that just kind of manifest these negative things or should we try to build tools that make the world better and create more equal opportunities? Well, I tend to be over optimistic in many areas. So maybe I am also here. 
I believe we have the opportunity to build something that will make a world better place. Much great research being done right now about how can we deal with imbalanced data sets? How can we estimate and delete the uh, bias from the algorithms? How can we estimate if there is bias and do the suggestions about how to deal with it? So I am sure we are on the right track. The question is, of course, what you said before about how vivid are women and not only women, but people who are trying to make world uh, the better place uh, compared to capitalistic society. And of course, even if you're just looking at job offers, there are, and you combine how many offers are there for like, we want to have more customers, we want to estimate how we can sell more products, how can we attract more people? And on the other hand, we want to use the tools of data science for environment for better energy consumption, for uh, estimation of renewable energy. Yeah, I, I don't think I have to tell you what's the proportion. <laughs> I don't have exact number, but we both can yeah. help. I am very grateful for those people who do the second part. And I really hope that with development of our society, uh, we will sooner than later come to the point when people will realize how important it is. And what I notice is that even people who work with this very cell-oriented works, they still find time during their free hours to uh, participate in the projects uh, that have something different in mind, that are directed for the better world. So I think this gives hope. That makes me a little bit more optimistic because I am actually really worried about the whole situation. I, I think I, I talked about the experiment I did on Midjourney where all the images were just men, white men that were generated. And it, but I still feel that if we don't take care, this might really just um, cement all the biases that we now have and just make them part of the technology we're building. So I'm really happy to hear that even the people who are just making money of this new technology are, are, are trying to change something. Because I think this is one of the big tasks we have in the next uh, couple of years to just ensure that all these, these tools we're building actually have a positive impact. Because I do believe that they can have a positive impact. There are so many great things that we can do with this yeah. technology. I just today read an article about how a new AI deciphered Acadian tablet. Yes. And that, that's just amazing. So I feel there is so much opportunity to use AI for good. And I just hope that the balance will not tip in the wrong direction. Let me put it that way. I think it's important that we stay vocal about it, that also people like you who make it visible for other, like what are uh, the jobs there, what are the opportunities are more in, in the spotlight. Thank you for that, Anna. I also feel that it's important to show what we can do in this field, especially as women. So that's why I talk a lot about AI at the moment and coming back to you. What do you plan to do with the studies you have just uh, completed? Do you have any plans to you know, put that into action. Right now I'm finishing the project where I am at my work and then there will be a long vacation. It's planned already for months. When I come back, I will have to look for a new project and I really hope that there will be something connected to data science because not only it will be ways not to use the new acquired knowledge, but it's also something that I'm really passionate about. I also have a private project that me and a friend are 
making already for a while. It will be here in September. It's a scientific one. My friend is a sleep consultant in Ukraine. And we were talking last year about the research about children's sleep in Ukraine due to the war and how it affects the children's sleep. So now we have the data and I didn't have a chance to analyze it very well. We just briefly introduced it at two conferences, but now the plan is to prepare a bigger study for December. And this is something that really uh, inspires me. I think it's a great cause for data science tools to be applied. Absolutely. This is one of the things I, I mean when I say using data science or, or artificial intelligence or machine learning for good, you know, thinking of use cases where it can actually help you decipher some trends or patterns and all these things that make the lives of people better. In this case, maybe of children, maybe you can find something groundbreaking or at least uh, something that we really need to know about this because this is a really difficult situation. So thank you so much, Anna, for telling me what you do and how you came there. But before we end this interview, tell me, wh what tips would you give young women who want to come into tech or into data science or into the field? Well, don't let yourself be scared away. We hear a lot about women, girls, especially in high school and school, not uh, being informed enough about different opportunities. On the other hand, there are now such camps as the Girls Who Code, Coding Camps for Girls. It's a wonderful opportunity to get involved. And I think overall, not only for women in tech, I wish somebody told me when I was much younger that we always have time. We just have as much time as we need if we needed to get in peace with yourself, think about what do you want from life and become aware about your own feelings about the situation right there. I just today overheard somebody on the train and the girl probably in her maybe early 20s was telling that she just wants to start jo her job as soon as possible to find something because she finds she spent so much time learning and She's so old already. I thought, my God, I wish somebody also told me when I was yeah. in the similar situation that it's okay to take a year to just think and sit and travel and just to find what makes you happy, what makes you inspired, what sparks your creativity and everything else will come. But you have to understand yourself, first of all. That is such great advice. And I, I agree. I wish somebody had told me this earlier as well, because when we are younger, we always feel we have to hurry up and Hell have a job. Like, there's no time. And then later you realize that it really doesn't matter that uh, one year or even two years in hindsight make no difference. The difference it does make is that when you understand what is important to you and what your values are and what you really want to do, it's easier for you to decide where you actually want to go. And apart from that, I think... It's not just taking time to reflect, but also being aware that, you know, life changes. You never know where you're going to end up. So like you did uh, something with material sciences, which you have a PhD in, and now you have a master's degree in data science. There's so many options in life and the path is not straight. So yeah, perfect. Thank you for that, Anna. That's a really good advice. Thank you so much, Anna. Thank you for giving me your time. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you.